This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we take a closer look and dig a little deeper into this week's sermon. What's going on, Bible nerds? We're talking about Acts chapter 20 today, so let's take a closer look. Yeah, we're not actually looking at a lot of it today. Chapter 20 kind of leads up to this big speech that Paul gives um, in Ephesus, and a lot of it leading up to it is like some logistical conversations about the way in which Paul's moving around the world. Um, those are important things, but we're not going to look at them here. So this episode is probably going to be pretty short. Um, verses 1 through 6 and 13 through 16 are all pretty much the way in which Paul is moving around. There's some little tidbits of information, but it's people and places. Paul the Pilgrim, where is this man on the move kind of thing. Um, I took a class at uh, Baylor under Dr. Todd Still on Paul, and the class was called Paul the Pilgrim. It was broken up into three modules. The course was broken up into three modules. Paul, um, the people of Paul, like his coworkers, the people in which he did stuff with, the places um, that he went, like the cities he was in and the prayers that he prayed. And it was uh, a metaphor connected to the pilgrim's progress. It was money. That's how you should be thinking about these texts is kind of like Paul, the pilgrim, this guy's on the move. He's doing stuff. He's meeting people. He's going to different places. Um, there's some valuable stuff in there if you want to read it. Um, but for the average person, there's not a lot, and it's kind of boring. And so we're going to skip it. The thing that I do want to point out to you is you see a pretty significant change here in the book of Acts that you haven't really seen very many times before. Um, and you start getting this word, we, used. So if you didn't know, we is the first person plural pronoun. Me and some people with me. Mm. Um, verse 6, But we sailed from Philippi after, five, after the five days of unleavened bread, and in five days we joined them in Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Um, verse 13, We went ahead to the ship and set sail for Assus. Verse 14, When he met us in Mytilene, verse 15, we sailed from there. It's this language in the way in which it picks up, where it picks up in the story, and the timeline that we know from all the other documents that we have. This is how we come up with Luke as the author. Yeah. Because we understand that Luke was traveling with these people. We know that. And so, and then we compare it to the gospel of Luke, which we have. Um, and this is how we come up with it. It's these kinds of tells in this in the narrative, you know, because everybody's like, "Well, how do we know some of us wrote so and so?" It's like, well, this is one of the ways we're pretty confident that Luke wrote Acts. So, the text that I actually want us to look at is verses seven through twelve. It's not a lot of text. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread. 
What day is that, Clayton? Uh, Saturday? Right? No, Saturday is Sabbath, so no. So what day? What day of the week is Sabbath? Saturday. No, yeah, but well, what day? What number? Uh, it would be the seventh day in Correct. the Jewish calendar. Correct. So what does that make? Day one, Sunday, mm, the day enough. they meet to break bread. Day okay. at church. Day at church. They doing okay. church in a house. Uh, Wellhouse Church. You about to get some preacher jokes? Here we go. Lord Jesus, help us. On the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul was holding a discussion with them. Since he intended to leave the, to leave the next day, he continued speaking until midnight. Midnight. He talked for a long time. They do in church. Paul's a preacher. We do church. I'm a preacher. They do it in the house. We doing it in the house. Watch this story, Clayton Ware. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were meeting. A young man named Eutychus, who was sitting in the window, began to sink off into a deep sleep while Paul talked still longer. Overcome by sleep, he fell to the ground three floors below and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and bending over him, took him in his arms and said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Then Paul went upstairs and after he'd broken bread and eaten, he continued to converse with them until dawn. Then he left. Meanwhile, all this time that Paul doing his stuff. Meanwhile, they had taken the boy away alive and were not, a little comforted. <laughs> this is a fantastic story. Wellhouse Church, I'm just saying, be glad that I don't preach, but for <laughs> eight to 12 minutes, <laughs> people be dying. <laughs> and Paul just raising them back to life strictly because he doesn't want the distraction of not being able to go talk some more. <laughs> Uh, okay, preacher jokes. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, here we go. Now let's actually look at the text. Okay, so on the first day of the week, when we met to break bread, Paul's holding a discussion with them. What you got to understand about the ancient world and house churches is that they're very similar to how we do it. There's, like, some instruction... But it's more so in explaining systems and worldviews. It's connecting theological dots for people. But as it says, it's a discussion. They're having a conversation. These yeah. people are not getting preached at. This is exactly why we do church the way we do at Wellhouse Church. I did a whole class, that I, an independent study that I designed uh, through Baylor and it was called Parallels Between Postmodern and Patristic Preaching. And the, the reason I designed the class this way is postmodern is the philosophical era that we're living in now. It's the way in which people make up truth. Patristic is the first 500 years of the church, the way in which the first church did things. Well, we didn't have the first church building. We don't have the first, like, 
evidence of a church building, a building dedicated to doing church worship until the 4th century. And uniquely enough, it's in Philippi. Um, so we, we don't really have that idea. Most of the early church was done in house churches. And because it was that, and because it was always done around this meal and it's communal, it's conversational. And preachers nowadays will, will talk about conversational preaching. Um, and what they mean by that is being able to read your audience. But this, this is not any of that. I need when you when you picture the ancient world and their experience of church, the first Christians, they're doing church the way we're doing church. The only thing they're not doing is I'm not meeting you on a screen. Yeah. That's the only difference. Everything else is damn near pretty close, I think, to what the kind of things they were doing. Yeah. We may be doing them in different orders and kind of things like that. But yeah, I think I think we're pretty close to it. That's what I need you to imagine here is they're having a discussion. He's, he's making up worldviews. He's forming systems. But outside of that, they're just talking. Yeah. And apparently he feels that he has permission to speak long. This is, the, this is why I say he's joking. Because he intends to leave the next day. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, hey, as long as they're willing to listen to me, I'll keep talking. I'll mm -hmm. sleep on the boat tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so he continues to speak until midnight. Um, a young man is sitting in the window. So what does that tell you, Clayton? That he's sitting in a window? Mm-hmm. Um, not real sure. Place is probably packed. There you go. That's the tell. Nobody's sitting in places that are not 100% safe. Yeah. Unless. There's nowhere else to sit. There's nowhere else to be. There's a lot of people here. Paul is a popular man. Like, people value what this man has to say. Mm -hmm. uh, homeboy falls asleep because Paul, like all preachers, gets boring after a while. Um, this is also why I only preach 8 to 12 minutes. It's my own protection. I don't want to listen to myself talk for 45 minutes. I know you don't want to listen to me talk for 45 minutes. <laughs> so, Paul... Paul really likes Paul, I guess. And Paul been talking for a minute. And homeboy falls asleep. And the text says he falls out the window. He falls three stories. And as you might imagine, that created a little bit of a ruckus. And so Paul goes down, and in the most Paul swagger fashion, that's what he does. Verse 10. But Paul went down. Bending over him, took him in his arms. So I guess he just grabs him of some kind. <laughs> I kind of imagine it, it, something of what, like, you know, if Dwayne, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson had to, like, put Kevin Hart in his arms while he's laying on the ground. He just kind of grabs him in some way. <laughs> Why? Is that he's a young man. A young man named Eutychus. I mean, okay. Okay. Yeah. And that's just, you know, satire. Uh, <laughs> um, and he said, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Then verse 11. Then Paul went upstairs. So it's like Paul goes down, 
grabs homeboy. It's like, I don't know, six cents. You know, puts his chest in and goes, no, nah, he's alive. Yeah. Let's go back upstairs. Um, he'd, he'd be all right. <laughs> and Luke, Luke tells the story that way. Yeah. Because you don't get the makeup of what happened to the boy until the end. Verse 12. Meanwhile, they'd taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. What you got to understand about the not a little comforted is it's it's like it's just another way of speech that sounds foreign to us because we don't run in those circles. But if you've ever spoken to somebody in the military and you ask them what someone's chance of survival is, Clayton, if I said, how's somebody doing? Like if somebody's on their life or death, yeah. life or death, and I say, how are they doing? What are you going to say? Not well. They're not well, or she's not going to make it, yeah. something like that. You give some kind of affirmation like, hey, she's probably going to die. The military and a few others, because they deal with it so much, they dissociate from it. Correct. And so how do they say it? They're not likely. Anytime you ask somebody that's a military veteran about someone's status with life or death, if they are possibly going to die, if they did any time in combat, their answer will be not likely. This is also true with some like SWAT people and you know just other people that have been around lots of death. This is a common training to dissociate them. You're seeing the same kind of things here in the ancient world. Death is everywhere in the ancient world. I and mean, people are dying all the time. We don't have modern medicine, all these kind of things. So in the same way that you have ways of saying like non-affirmative affirmations this is it they were not a little comforted it means they were a lot comforted not just mm. a little a lot but there's no way to like it's just not really a way to do that uh in greek either like grammatically that's kind of hard to do um and this exists in the ancient world so you can yeah. do it this way so that's that part meanwhile they had taken the boy away alive and they feel real comforted. Okay. Um, but I also think what this means, they feel joy. Well, okay, let me say this. When I read scholars on this, they were split. I think it's a little bit of both. I think they feel joy that the boy's alive. Right. And I think you could read this as they're not a little comforted. They're a lot comforted. Okay. There's also a way where you read this. And the cynic in me is trying not to read it this way, but it does feel like an appropriate reading based on the way the story is told. Is meanwhile, they'd taken the boy away alive and were not a little comforted. Meaning that very few people went with them. Because the story is about Paul. Paul goes back up. Verse 11. Then Paul went upstairs, and after he'd broken bread and eaten, so Paul been up there eating and preaching. Boy falls asleep. Boy falls asleep. Falls down and dies. Paul goes down, says he's gonna be all right. Goes back up, eats and preaches some more. Yeah, so he broke bread and ate, and then he continued to talk to them until dawn, and then he left. So once again, the boy dies. The climax of the story is the boy dies. And instead of the storyline continuing 
to follow the boy, it continues to follow Paul. Right. The story is about Paul. Right. And so you very easily could read this is that these people were not comforted. Right. I think that's a very broken and cynical view of it. However, Luke does tell the story that way. And mm-hmm. I want to acknowledge that. I think the way you should be reading this is that it's an affirmative, like it's a negative affirmation. It's like they were more than a little comforted. Right. Okay. Um, but this is a very unique story. Not in that Paul's healing people from being dead. Paul's resuscitating people. People are resuscitated oftentimes in the ancient world. Um, there are countless stories of resuscitations. That's not the crazy part here. The crazy part here is that it's become so common to these people that there's power in the life and liberation of Jesus because that's what we've also seen. We see that really only the Christians can resuscitate people. Yeah, There's very few other people that can resuscitate people. That's why the message of life is so meaningful and impactful. So it's so common to experience life around these people that they're willing to overlook the miracle in order to have the conversation. Right. We're at a place where we can't even see the miracle because we're unwilling to have the conversation. Hmm. See the see the connection? Yeah. We, we as a people are at a place where it's impossible for us to turn our back on a miracle because we don't ever look for them. We don't ever see them. And when we do, we dismiss them away. Um, the other part is the miracle happened because the conversation began. Right. If the conversation doesn't begin, the miracle can't happen. What's a miracle, Clayton? A miracle in today's world? If you ask me what's a miracle, a miracle is a single mom getting a job. That's a miracle. A miracle is a homeless man getting the house. Um, How do those miracles happen? When we start having conversations. I heard my friend Josh Hilburn say, I'm tired of sitting idly by praying for God to do things that God so clearly instructed the church to do. Mm. I'm tired of praying for a miracle that God clearly told us to be. Mm. That. 